You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a series on the life and work of Jesus. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Tonight we're going to actually continue on in our teaching in the life and ministry of Jesus. And tonight we're going to talk about Jesus' favorite way to teach, parables, parables. And so uh, we're going to go to Matthew 13, which is one of the most famous parables. Um, one of, there are many parables that um, people love to talk about, and we'll talk about many of those parables tonight. And so we're just going to kind of do an overview of them. I'm going to use Matthew 13 uh, kind of as the, the beginning of our talk on parables. Um, so let's pray, and let's dig into the Word of God. Lord Jesus We thank you, Lord. Uh, We know that you are a good God. You are a holy God. Lord, and your word says that uh, you've given us your spirit and he dwells in us to teach us these things. So Lord, we ask you tonight that through your spirit, Lord, you would teach us through these passages of scripture, Lord. You would teach us uh, more about you, your character, your love for us, Lord. So Lord, we just pray Lord, that uh, as you guide us through that, Lord, that you would be glorified in what we learn. So thank you, Jesus. We love you and praise you in your name. Amen. Everybody loves a good story. I love stories. I love stories. In high school, I used to be a part of the thespians. And thespians, what they do, it's a drama society, and they travel from, to different high schools, and they compete against other thespians. And so there was a category in the thespians called storytelling, and that was my favorite. And so you would find this story, and then you would memorize it, and you would retell it, okay? Well, that's what stories are, are meant for. They're meant for telling, right? And if you guys know, and so many of you do, that's actually how most things used to be passed down, is through storytelling. Correct? So you tell somebody a story, and then they would tell their kids and their grandkids, and we still do that today. Think about the stories that we tell our kids that our parents told us, or that our grandparents told us. One of my favorite things is to sit with somebody that has an incredible amount of history and listen to their stories. And so um, my kids' great-grandmother and grandfather... Well, they grew up in the Great Depression. Uh, The great-grandmother recently passed away last October. She was 95, 95 years old. I was trying to think of her. I I know her birth date, so I had to do the math. She was 95 years old. And their great-grandpa, that was about 15 years ago, the stories that they have. And man... Listening, and one of the reasons that I love listening to these stories is because there's so much wisdom to be gleaned from these stories. And they're, the stories, to be honest with you, are not like, oh my gosh, there's this incredible thing that happened. Oh no, they're just telling regular things that happened in their life. Regular things that happened in their, their day-to-day life. And that's so valuable for us. That's why we study history. That's why we write stories of the past down. Now, parables that we're going to talk about is a little bit different, but stories are a great way to teach us. They tell us an incredible amount about life. They're used to teach us lessons, okay? And they're used in all different kinds of cultures. You guys probably grew up reading Aesop's fables, right? And fables have these little moral lessons at the end of them. So it's a made-up or fictional story that has a little moral lesson. And that's kind of what a parable is. Now, parables are interesting things because a lot of people debate on whether the stories that Jesus told were actually true stories or whether some of them were just illustrations. And so there's a debate about how many parables there are in the Bible. And you can look it up on the internet, and you'll find anywhere from, oh, there's 36 parables in the Bible. There's 46 parables in the Bible. There's 38 parables in the Bible. And it really depends on who you ask as to how many parables there are 
in the Bibles. Because some people say, well, if it's a true story, it can't be a parable. And some people will say, well, even though it's a true story, it has that moral lesson and Jesus is using it as a teaching tool as a parable, okay? So there's a, deba a debate amongst scholars that how many parables there are in the Bible and how many Jesus told. Now, if you look at the Old Testament as well, there's a lot of parables. One of the more famous ones that you guys would understand that's used to teach an incredible moral lesson is the one that Nathan tells David. Do you remember that parable? There's a little story, right? And David has sinned wickedly, and he's hiding and covering up his sin, and Nathan comes in, and he says, I wanna tell you a little story. I wanna tell you a little story. And he exposes, and David's mad. He's telling him a story about this little farmer that had just one sheep. And there was this king that had all the sheep that he wanted. But he looked over and saw the farmer's one sheep and said, I want that sheep. And he sent his men to get that sheep so that he could kill it and have it for his feast. And David said, what a wicked man. That man must die. And he said, well, that man is you. And that sheep was Bathsheba. And he used that little story to reveal an incredible spiritual truth to David, right? And that's what parables are for. So they say if you actually go through all of the scripture, there's hundreds of little parables throughout this, the Bible. Now, I'm not sure about that, not 100% sure, okay? But we do know that there's at least 35 or so parables that Jesus taught. It, where he calls them parables, where they are considered to be parables. The one we're gonna look at tonight in Matthew 13 is one of the most famous parables, and it's the parable of the sower and the seed. You guys know that one, right? Yeah, we all know that. You know what the interesting thing about the Bible is? When we come to study scripture that we already know, most of us go, I know that one. I got it, I know that one and we stop learning. But the amazing thing about the scripture is the scripture is the living word of God. And if you will actually open your heart to Christ to learn, there's always something in there that God wants to teach you, even though you may have heard the story, you may have seen it taught many, many times. Okay, there's something that God wants to teach you. Something that you didn't see there before. Something, okay, now, don't get me wrong. We have to be really careful because we don't want to go into scripture looking for some new thing all the time because then that's where men get in trouble and they start putting things in there or creating things from things that aren't really there. But we do have to be attentive to God. Maybe he wants to show us something that we heard previously, but didn't actually apply to our life in that moment, but now does. How many of you guys have an old Bible that you used to keep notes in? Anyone have one of those? You ever go back and look at them? You ever look at a Bible from maybe 10, 15 years ago and some of the things you wrote in the margin at that time? And at that time, it was totally relevant to what you were walking through in your life 10 years ago when you went through that story in the Bible and you wrote something down right there, right beside it. Now, you look at it today and you go, oh, interesting. I've learned about that passage of scripture. I've learned something about history or something about it that helps me understand that passage of scripture better. And that scripture ministered to me in that way 10 years ago, and today that scripture ministers to me anew. Maybe not in exactly the same way because you're not going through exactly the same thing. And that's the incredible thing about the word of God. So I wanna encourage you tonight as we go through some of these parables, maybe you've heard them before, but listen with a new ear. Listen, ready to see what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us through these parables that maybe we've heard a hundred times, all right? So let's take a look. Yesterday, yesterday, speaking of stories, I went to a memorial. I went to a memorial. And as some of you know that from Lake Worth Christian, uh, one of our, our teachers passed away. And yesterday they had a memorial service for her. And I think it was the best memorial service I've ever been to in my entire life. And what they did is they said she had four circles in her life. 
And they set up this thing on the, the big screen and they showed four circles. And they said she had her friends who were mostly parents of students that she had taught. And then she had her school community, she had her church community, and then she had her immediate family. And the incredible thing about this funeral, what I loved about it, is somebody from each group shared. And it talked about the thing that bound all of those together in this woman's life, and she was an incredible woman of God, was Christ. He was the one, the center circle, that bound all four of her circles together. But what I loved about that and why I mention it as we talk about stories is it was an incredible testimony, a story, in a sense, a parable that had incredible lessons in it for us to learn from her life, from situations that she had been through. They were encouraging. They were thoughtful and very educational. She was an incredible woman of God. And so as we tell our stories, we have opportunities, as Jesus did here, to continue to teach people about many things that we're gonna talk about tonight. Let's look at why Jesus taught in parables. So the first thing I'm gonna do is skip the first nine verses. The parable itself, right? We're gonna skip it. We'll come back to it. We'll circle back around to it. You're like, you're not allowed to do that. No, we just go verse by verse, verse by verse. That's kind of expositional teaching. That's how we're supposed to do it. We go verse by verse. You talk about that one. You talk about the next one. You talk about the next one. That's expositional teaching. I'm doing it backwards, right? I do that just to flip you upside down on your head to keep you attentive. You're like, no, we start in verse one. No, today we're starting in verse 10. And then we're gonna go back to verse one. And the reason that I wanna start here is because why Jesus taught in parables, and this is not very difficult because the disciple says, Jesus, why do you teach in parables? And Jesus says, here's the answer in verse 10. So let's take a look. He says, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. Have you ever had a deep spiritual conversation with a non-believer and they just don't get it? They just don't get it. They can't. You maybe have studied doctrine Maybe you have these theologies or maybe you've been through our apologetics class and you have some big words that you didn't know a couple of months ago and now you have some of this information and now you can have this deep doctrinal conversation with somebody, but here's the reality. If it's a non-believer, they're not gonna get it. So what's the best way to talk to Jesus about a non-believer? Stories, stories, it really is, it's stories. And that's why I relate, even though they're different, don't get me wrong, there is a difference between a testimony and a parable, okay? But that's why I relate your testimony. This lady, this memorial service that I went to yesterday, her testimony to the way that Jesus taught. Jesus taught in stories because he knows that people aren't ready to understand all of these deep spiritual truths until they have the Spirit of God living in them. They're blind. They can't. It says, though they see, they, or though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. You can talk to them all day about atonement. You can talk to them all day about big Christianese words. Remember I said we have our own language? You guys remember I said we, we speak Christianese. Christianese, born again. When we were talking about being born again. And Jesus uses the word with Nicodemus, but Nicodemus was a religious leader. And you know the, the phrase born again actually confuses a lot of people. They're like, what, what do you mean born again? 
Nicodemus wasn't alone in his question. Well, these are big doctrinal truths. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he says, you, a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, don't understand these deep doctrinal truths that I'm talking to you about. How much more will the other people understand it? Not at all. Not at all. So Jesus tells them stories. Because stories are great ways to reach people. So uh, when Jesus was around farmers, you know, Jesus grew up in Nazareth. He was a Nazarene. He grew up in Nazareth. And so what happened is in Nazareth, there was a lot of farming. Not like you and I consider farming. But also in that area, there was a stone quarry. There was a stone quarry not far from there. And you know that Jesus was actually probably a stonemason and not a carpenter. I know. I know that's probably something that really upsets you because your whole life you've heard that Jesus is a carpenter and all of these things. But what happened is when they translated the Bible, they did it in German first. And in Germany, construction, you look and it's all wood. So they translated it as carpenter. But in Israel, they don't build out of wood. They build out of stones. So the construction word that they used was actually a stonemason. And if you go to Nazareth, it's only about a mile or two away from a large stone quarry and everything's built out of rocks the only wood in town would have been what they would use to to make some type of roof for a building right so when jesus was in these areas he used what the people understood that's why jesus called himself the cornerstone because the people understood it they knew what cornerstone meant because they understood construction. That's why he'll talk about farming. That's why he talks about fishing. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Oh, I get that. I understand that, right? Because he used what was around them. That's why he talked about vineyards. Because if you've ever been to Israel, they grow like crazy. I lived in Ica, Peru for many years and the, the climate is almost exactly like Israel. Every pastor that visited me was like, driving into this town, I feel like I'm going right into certain parts of Israel. And you're driving through the northern point of the Atacama Desert, the, the driest desert in the world, and you have all these rocks, and you've got this sand, and it's very grayish brown looking all over the place, and many, many parts of Israel look like that. And then you go into this small, lush community, and that's exactly how it is. Desert, and then you find small communities built around water basins or whatever it is. And so Jesus would use this. And when I lived in Ica, in my backyard, we had this grapevine. And it had been there for like 30 or 40 years. And it produced incredible grapes as long as you kept it pruned. And if you know the teachings of Jesus, you know that that's actually a teaching of Jesus. It produces really good fruit if you prune it properly. And boy, did you have to know. You had to know how to prune it. You had to know when to prune it. You had to know all kinds of things about it. So we just hired somebody. Because that's a lot to know. So this is how Jesus taught. So when we see him teaching about farmers, it's not because Jesus loved farmers. It's because Jesus loved people. It's not because he loved farming. It's because he loved farmers. And he wanted them to understand so if we look at Matthew chapter 13 in verse one, now we swing back around to the actual parable itself. Now that we understand why Jesus taught in parables so that the common people could understand. So we see that the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow some seed and he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. And when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant. Still others seed fell on the good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, and thirty times. 
what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If there was a slide, it would say, you are the sower, so sow, so sow. I had to do that because grammatically it would be therefore so, but so so just is much better. I mean, you agree. I see, I see the little chuckle. Ginger, thank you. Okay. You know when the pastor makes a joke, you're supposed to laugh. If you don't, um, your name is written down. Um, so anyway, so you are the sower, so so. You're the sower in this story. So what is the seed? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Now, as a child, I grew up in Kentucky, tobacco country. And I remember as a young man, child labor, I should report them, okay? I remember as a young adolescent, I was probably 12 years old, I got paid a penny a stick to pick up tobacco sticks in the field, okay? And that was during harvesting time. They would ride around on these carts and they would chop it and they would spear it and they would throw it up on a big wagon and if sticks fell off, you just let them lie. And so when the harvest was done, we'd walk around and pick up all the sticks and it was like one, two, three, four, five, yay, we made 50 cents, right? And we were so excited. And we had all this little money and we did this day after day after day after day, my cousin and I. Farming, what was I, 10 12 years old, maybe, working slave labor out in the sun. It was terrible. It was awful. No, it was work. It was work. But we worked in this field, and this field was big and open, and, and farmers have these tricks so that they can, they can actually drive their tractor and they can plow in straight lines. Have you ever wondered why the line doesn't go like this down the thing? It's because they have these tricks. They, they pinpoint on one side, and they can drive their tractor straight and then straight back, and, and they plow. Yes. Okay. See, I was trying to bottle flip like the kids do, and I just didn't get it. So they, they plow, and, and then they come back, and they're sitting on the back of this tractor thing, and their little seat's bouncing, and they're just throwing seeds on the side. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not, okay? But that's the way it was with tobacco. They'd plow up the fields, and then they'd come in, and they'd throw the tobacco seeds in the little trough that they'd done. So when I read this parable, I'm like, this is a terrible farmer. Farmers don't farm like that. That's not how farmers farm, because this guy is a mess. He's throwing his seed out like he just don't care, right? He's wasting all this seed. It's going on, on all these terrible places. Who throws seeds in the weeds? Who throws seeds on the stony grass? And on the path? That's like the road. Who throws seeds on the road? This guy is a terrible farmer. Why is Jesus talking about this guy in his parable? Why does he say this if this guy's such a bad farmer? Why doesn't Jesus say, he's a bad farmer? Make sure to put your seed where it counts. Because if I was doing a lesson on farming, that's what I would have said. This guy's a bad farmer. Don't do it that way. But that's not the point of the story, is it? It's not at all. The point of this story, here's the interesting thing. Knowing the context, knowing the situation, knowing the area gives you great revelation into Jesus' parable. Here's the cool thing. I got to go to Israel a few years ago, and they did a recreation of first century Nazareth that you can go through. A Christian organization did it, and you can walk through this little village that they created, and one of the things is actually a little farm. And so in this area in Nazareth, they did what's called terrace farming. Anybody know what terrace farming is? Terrace farming is a really interesting concept and you'll see it all throughout like Cambodia, through China, and various other places throughout the world where it's actually very hilly. If there's a little mountain, you'll see terrace farms, okay? In Peru, there were terrace farms all over the place. And so anytime you see a mountain that has these little plateaus, they call them terraces, Okay, and there's one here and one up here and one up here and one up here. Okay, those are little farms. Those are little farms. 
Okay? Now today, it may be that, that a farmer owns the entire mountainside and all those are all his rice crops and all of those types of things. But during this day in Nazareth, each of these little plots or terraces belonged to a farmer. And so you would have a donkey cart that would come up on the inside of the hill because the hill would be cut out flat. Okay, so you can imagine a plot of land somewhat about the size of the stage, to be honest with you. And there's a donkey cart coming right around the front there, and on the back side over here, it just slopes down to the next little terrace farm, and to the next one below it, and the next one below it. And at the bottom ridge, there was another part cart right there for the donkey. And it would come up and it would draw its cart up so that you could get supplies up to each farmer, okay? And so the farmer... Wanting to make the best use of a small plot of land that he had and make sure that every inch of his soil was used for good would scatter his seed. Because I'm willing to waste a little bit of seed if I can get every single inch of good out of this good soil. I'm willing to let them fall over there. I'm willing to let them fall on that path where that donkey goes. So instead of meticulously taking a seed and trying to plant it all over the place, no, he would take a handful of seeds and he would scatter them around and some would fall on the path and some would fall down on the rocky side over there where thorns and thistles grew. Some would fall into the good soil. And so when you understand some of the context of that, all of a sudden, Jesus' parable makes sense. This is not about a bad farmer. This is about sowing seed. This is about making sure that wherever you go, the seed is the gospel that you're sharing. You're the sower. So, so. Therefore, so. Are you spreading the gospel? Are you worried so much that it might not be planted in a super, super healthy soil that you hold it back that the seed might not be able to do what it's supposed to do because you're afraid that if you throw it down, it might go on the cart path and be burned up. Or because you're afraid that if you throw it down in this moment, that it might actually go over into the rocky soil over there and it may sprout for a moment and then actually be choked out by the weeds. Are you afraid of that? Is that why we don't share the gospel? Because I think it is. I think it is. We're afraid that our seed won't fall on readied soil. So what happens is the readied soil doesn't even get the seed. Because we're holding our seeds back. And God said, hey, I gave you the seed. I gave you the gospel. And here's the reality. He could have written it in the stars. We could stand and look at the beauty of creation. And if you think about the things in the scripture, Romans 1.20 tells us that the creation itself reveals the divine nature and eternal power of God. It does. But he didn't write in the stars for us to see. Jesus is God. He is the Messiah the savior of mankind. He didn't write that. Instead, he sent his son. His son died for us, and he told us. He said, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. It's a mandate for us. The Great Commission is what we call it, for us to go out into our communities and for us to share for us to sow seeds of the gospel. Guys, it's not my job as to how that person receives it. It's my job to drop it, to toss it out there, to share with them the love of Jesus. And here's the reality. Just like Jesus taught in stories, you can share the gospel in stories. 
You don't have to take them through this like three-point sermon of how this and that and making sure that they understand this and that, all of these details and doctrinal issues within the gospel and some of the things that we get caught up in and worried about because what happens there is we're holding back our seed and we're like, I'm not just gonna share this seed and, and let it fall where it may and let God do the work. No, my seed has to be perfectly groomed, it has to be perfectly set up, it has to be perfectly done, otherwise it won't work. Guys, if my concern is is that if my gospel presentation is not perfect, it won't work, whose power am I dependent on? Mine or his? Mine or his? If I'm concerned that my gospel presentation is not perfect, so therefore I don't share it, I'm depending on my own power to salvation and it's not gonna work. I have to be willing to share the gospel at the level that I know it right now. And for most of you guys, that's a pretty deep level. But maybe it's not. And maybe for some of your friends it's not. But here's the reality. Maybe it's just simply telling someone how Jesus changed your life. You don't have to explain to them what atonement means. You can just share your testimony, your story of God's redemptive plan in your life. And that can be what it is. That can be the seed of the gospel that falls upon readied soil. This parable is not about how the, the farmer had prepared the soil and if he didn't prepare it right, then the seed wasn't gonna grow. Jesus doesn't go into all that. Maybe if we know about farming, we, we can think about all of that and we're like, okay, well, we gotta prepare the soil so that when we do put the seed out, that the seed can actually take root and can take, no, you've gotta get the seed onto the soil and let it start growing and then God says, now is your opportunity to come in for discipleship. Once that seed starts growing, now it's your opportunity to come in for discipleship. Water it. Get rid of the weeds out of it. Deal with the things in it. Help the seeds to grow. That's our, our place. That's one of the, the jobs that, that God has bestowed upon us as believers is that we get the opportunity to disciple people. But who are you gonna disciple if we're not throwing seeds? If people aren't getting saved? So you're the sower. The seeds of the gospel, so-so, so-so. Not so-so in a whatever kind of way. So-so the seed of the gospel everywhere you go. Have you guys ever met like an evangelist that's an evangelist to the core? You cannot go, I have a buddy and he's a painter and I love this guy. I thought he was a lunatic for a while, and he probably is a little bit crazy. But here's the reality. This guy put a wrap around his car that had the full gospel message on it. And he's a painter. This was his paint truck, and he drove it to every job that he went. You'd see him driving down the road. You'd be like, oh, there's Mike. Crazy. Crazy guy. But here's the reality. I worked on several jobs with him. Every time I walked into a house where I was working with him on a job, he was sharing the gospel with the homeowner. He was sharing the gospel with one of the guys that was working on his crew. He was sharing the, he'd be putting paint on the walls and he's like, I just wanna tell you about how much Jesus loves you. Still didn't land right. Still didn't land right, okay? So he's cutting in lines and he does such a great job and he's, he's quick and, um, and all these things, but the whole time he's sharing the gospel with you. And even if you're a believer, he's asking you, well, how you doing? How you doing? Because you know Jesus loves you no matter what you're going through right now. No matter what you're, man, this guy was an, is an evangelist to the core. He'll tell you, he's like, I'm not, a, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a Bible teacher. I'm an evangelist. It's what God has gifted me with. But here's the reality. Those of us that are not gifted like that, 
go, well, you know, Mike will share the gospel with him, right? Mike will share the gospel with him. That's who will do it because God gifted him to do it. So it's better if he does it. Mm -mm. Sorry, guys. Mike's gifted at it. My buddy Mike's gifted at it. But God called all of us as believers to share the gospel. All of us as believers. Another parable that I really like, and I was just talking to um, one of the, the ladies here tonight about this parable just a little bit. In Luke chapter 18, verses one through eight, uh, this is a lesson in praying. And Jesus teaches us incredible lessons through uh, these parables. It says, then Jesus, this is verse one through 18, and this time I'm gonna start in one because I don't wanna throw you Bible readers off there, okay? Uh, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And he said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him for a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because of this this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will find faith uh, will he find faith on the earth? Parables use stories of men to describe things of God. That's what they are. But we have to be careful. I remember one time uh, sharing the gospel with somebody. I had a, another friend who was there with me. And, and the way that I explained the gospel to this person, I said, the gospel is kind of like Jesus put this like, million dollars in a bank account, only it's worth way more than a million dollars. He put it in your account because the Bible says he died for everyone, right? And so I said, it's, it's kind of like he put this in your account and he says, this is yours. You just got to come for it. You got to accept it. You got to tell me you repent and, you, and it's yours. Imagine if somebody did that for you. Wouldn't you go get it? If somebody said, here's a million dollars in a checking, if anybody wants to do that, I, I will go to the bank, okay? I, and I'll, I'll take them, okay? So, but if there's a million dollars in a checking account, okay? And you just have to go for it. And I said, that's kind of like the gospel. Jesus died and he forgave all your sins and he says, here is that forgiveness. I just want you to come and accept it. That's it. I'm telling you, I'm calling you. I am saying, you I want you to come and receive this gift that I'm giving you. And you're like, great, it's a gift. It's mine. Well, you have to come and receive it. And I explained the gospel like that. And a friend of mine was like, oh no, you can't explain the gospel like that. There's a bunch of holes in that. There's a bunch of holes in that. I was like, yeah, but there are a bunch of holes in that theory. I mean, there's like, you know, the gospel's more valuable than any type of money, and, you know, there's a, a bunch of things, and, you know, God draws us into himself through his spirit, and all kinds of complications that we look. But when we look at the parables that Jesus taught, how many people look at that parable of the unjust judge and go, God, that's not a good parable? Because if that judge is supposed to be representing you, well, that judge is, doesn't fear God and he's not a very good person. Okay? These are stories of men, and of course they're gonna have holes in them. Because nothing compares to a holy God, especially when we're talking about imperfect men. Nothing compares. What Jesus is trying to teach them here, he says, even this unjust judge eventually gives up and get him. How much more will a just God as this persistent widow continues to ask? And what he's telling them is, ask, and ask again, and ask again, and ask again, and ask again. I've read so many incredible stories of people that prayed 44 years for the salvation of a brother 
a sister, a husband. The one that stuck with me was 44 years. I was like, that's persistent, 44 years. And it finally came about. It took 44 years of prayer. And finally, this guy received the Lord. Isn't that incredible? You know what's more incredible to me? Is the guy that was praying stuck with it for 44 years. I'll be praying for five minutes, and I'll be like, Lord, I just don't understand why you haven't answered me yet. And he's like, wait. I did, it's been since yesterday. Sometimes we're big crybabies, y'all. We are, we're impatient. They called us the microwave TV generation, right? I want my hot pocket, and I want it in two minutes. Get in my belly, right? I want food, and I want it now. I want something that can be done. We are the fast food generation, and we put that on God. You know, the Apostle Paul, I think he got it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, when he said, pray without ceasing. He wasn't specifically talking about praying the same thing over and over and over and over again, praying for somebody's salvation, praying for things like that. But guys, we should always be praying. Do you have a lost brother, a lost sister, a lost family member? Do you have somebody that's struggling? Somebody that's dealing with something? An addict? an unbeliever, whatever. I know for years my mom prayed for me. And I'm sure for years your parents prayed for you. Whatever it was, whatever the thing was, and you don't give up. And that's what God's trying to tell them in this. This is not about God being compared to this. God is righteous. God is holy. God is not like an unjust judge. He is just. And he's saying, if this unjust judge will give this woman the justice that she desires, how much more will a holy, just God give you that justice? Okay? And so there's a lot that can be unpacked in here about justice and all of these things, but I don't want to get too deep in that. Okay? Um, these parables reveal the character of God. We've done the sower and the seed. But probably the most popular parable, and I'm not gonna read it for the sake of time because we're already out, is in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, and it's the parable of the prodigal son. And man, we love that one, don't we? Oh, goodness gracious, because we can all relate, right? That son who looks at his father and says, Father, I want my inheritance, and I want it now. You guys know that Basically, he's saying, Father, I wish you dead. I wish you were dead so that I could have my money. That's what, that's basically what he's telling his dad. Could you just hurry up and die? I want my money. I want my money, and I want it now. So the father gives it to him. You know the story. The son goes out and squanders away all of the money and he buys friends and everybody loves this guy because he's buying all the drinks and everything else in the pub and, and he's having just the time of his life and then his money starts to run out and his friends start to run out. And then he has no money to eat. And all of the guys that he was buying all these things for didn't really care anymore because he had nothing to give them. And so one day, as he's sneaking into a farmer's field to eat slop from the pigs, anything that he could find, he thinks to himself, my father's servants eat better than this. I need to go home. And so he goes home. The other side of the story is the father. Every day that his son is gone, he waits and looks down the road, waiting for his son to return. Now, obviously, the father in this story represents God wanting us to return, and we are the prodigal son, the prodigal son, the one that ran away, that comes back home. 
There's a lot of depth to this story. There's another brother. There's a whole Bible study in the other brother. And some of us are the other brother. We've never been the prodigal son. We've always been in the church and we've always been faithful to serve and do all of those things. But as soon as the prodigal son comes in and, and, and starts to have all of these things and has this incredible testimony, we're like, well, I wish I had a testimony like that. I wish my testimony was all about drugs and alcohol because then it's a cooler testimony than I was raised in a church and I never walked away from the Lord and I've been serving in my entire life. Well, that's just boring. I want one of those cool testimonies where it was like, yeah, and then I did this, and then I did that, and then I did all of these things. Guys, I've, I, I've been there. Lots of people have been there that have like, that's an incredible testimony. I wish my testimony was that good. More people probably get saved from my testimony. Guys, that's just pure pride. That's just purely about us. God loves that faithful brother that stays home, that serves his father. But his pride rises up in that moment. But here's the thing. These parables reveal the character of God. And I'm almost finished, so stay with me, okay? These parables reveal the character of God. But this is what we've done to the prodigal son. Through the prodigal son, because we love it so much. And my friend Ron Jones, some of you guys know Ron. He's a pastor at Coastal Chapel. He said this the other day, and I, it just captured me. We have turned Jesus into this mamsy, pamsy, heartbroken little boyfriend waiting and just, I just hope she comes back. I just hope she comes back. I just hope she comes back. He is not the mushy little boyfriend that can't live without us. He loves you. He died for you. But he is the creator God of the universe. He is holy. He is transcendent. That means he needs nothing to exist. He doesn't need us, but he loves us. And he died for us. He's not the mushy-gushy boyfriend. We cannot belittle who God is by using these parables and these concepts. He is kind, he is loving, and he is patient, the Bible says, waiting for you to return. He is waiting for you to return. The Bible says like with God, a day is like a thousand years, and, and a thousand years is like a day, and his patience is incredible. He's not delaying just to delay. He's delaying that many may come to know him. He desires that all come to repentance, the scripture says. That's why he's waiting. He wants you to come home, not because he can't live without you, but because he loves you that much. He gave everything for you. He is the creator God of the universe that one day will bring justice and judgment upon the earth. And if we don't come home, the justice and judgment is what you will receive. That's who he is. These parables reveal this character, and as you dig deeper into these parables, you see the parable of, of the, the tenants. They rented a vineyard, and when the owner went to check on the vineyard, they killed the guy that he sent, his servant. And so he sent another servant to check on the vineyard, they killed him too, so finally he sent his son. Surely they would not kill his son. And then they killed his son. And great judgment would come upon them. As Jesus told this parable, he was telling the parallel of, of him sending prophet after prophet to warn them, to tell them, to check on his church. And then finally, 
his son because he loved them so much. Guys, the creator God of the universe, Jesus Christ, in flesh, came to die for our sins. And he's coming back. He's coming back. If you start going through these parables, there's so many parables about the kingdom of God and the value of the kingdom of God. And it's such a rich study. If you just do the kingdom of God parables alone, it's such a rich study in how valuable what you possess is, how valuable what we possess truly is. The gospel, the fact that God came down, humbled himself for his great love for us, that you and I might receive the righteousness of Christ, that you and I might receive the righteousness of God. That's what these are about. These are about understanding who he is and how much he loves you. There's so many things that we can learn from parables. I could go for hours. You want me to? Okay, I will. No, I'm kidding. I won't. You have a story. And it's not a parable. It's a testimony. Use it. Share your story. As I said, as I started today, I love how John shares little bits of his story as he's worshiping. Because worship is more than singing songs. It's about being together with the body of Christ and worshiping through everything that we are. And we're broken. We're simple. We don't know everything. And God receives every bit of it as worship if we truly humble ourselves before him. So let's pray. I'm going to invite John up. We're going to do communion together. What a beautiful time that we as a body of believers can have together to worship Christ by remembering his sacrifice on the cross. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for these stories, Lord, these parables in the way that you teach us, Lord. Teach us about the principles that you have for the way that we need to live our lives, Lord how you teach us to be able to share your word. Lord, to sow the seed that has been sown in us. Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your gospel. Lord, thank you for your work on the cross. Thank you for these beautiful stories, these parables that we have, that we may learn more about you, your kingdom, your character. Thank you, God, for your incredible love for us. In your name. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.